Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Center podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. Can I tell you something this morning? Is that okay? Can I tell you something this morning? Can I tell you something this morning? Good. You ready to hear something? Directly from heaven, according to God. You ready for this? If I got your attention, I want to make sure I've got you. Everybody looking at me, look at me, look at me. God's not mad with you. I think that deserves a bigger shout, don't you? God's not mad with you. I've got some good news. God's not mad with you. He's mad about you. Is Barry and Ruth here this morning? Where are they? Hiding down the back there. Hey, Barry, you there? I want to talk about you this morning. (laughs) See, when you hear this term, mad about you, It's not in a negative context, is it? When you hear somebody say, I'm mad about you, it's a positive thing, isn't it? I'm mad about you. Freddie, when you first met Elise, oh, I'm mad about Elise. Yeah? Yeah? Amen, brother? Come on. Yeah. I know, Barry, when when your eyes first met Ruth's eyes, whoa, you were mad about Ruth. Yeah? You just couldn't stop thinking about it, could you? You started to think about your future. Preacher brother, I see that. You were mad about it. And hopefully you still are mad about her. I'm sure you are. Yeah, you're giving me a wave. Like when I first met Helen, I was mad about her. I I started to think about her. I started to think about my future and the time that I was going to spend with her. I was falling in love with her. And do you know, that, that's the same for God and you this morning. He's falling and continuing to fall in love with you. He's mad about you. Oh, I think this is a good message. I think this is a great message. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your supernatural power this morning. We thank you, Father God, that lives are going to be changed and impacted. We thank you, Father God, that there's going to be a work of the Holy Spirit this morning, that that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is here this morning. And we thank you, Father God, that that same Spirit is going to set people free this morning, that people are going to walk out of this place different. They're going to be walking out of this place with their heads held high, knowing that God, knowing that you're not mad with them, but you are mad about them. And we thank you for that this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. Can I tell you a little story about, where's Helen? I wanted Helen to be here. She needs to hear this. She's gone. I'm mad with her. Oh, you're down the back there hiding. So have you ever been mad with yourself? Have you ever been mad with your wife? No, that's good on you. Oh, husband. Good on you. Lani, I saw that. No, I've never been mad with Dylan. Oh, you're a good sister. You're good. You're better than me. I tell you, I've been mad with Helen. So Helen's really, when I met Helen, she's really good at a couple of things. 
She's really good with money. I'm really good at spending it. Anybody else here? I'm really good at spending it. Helen's really good at, at saving. And Helen, she, like I've told you this before, church, I have a bias towards the negative. Anybody else? Helen has a bias towards the positive. Oh, it's going to rain. Oh, my football team's going to lose. Oh, it's gonna, nobody's going to turn up at church this morning. Oh, that's my, that's my bias. But Helen, oh, this is going to be plenty of people in church this morning. The sun's shining. It's going to be a great day. But let me tell you, I was mad with myself and I was mad with Helen a couple of weeks ago. You all right with this? I'm just being real, church. Like, oh, no, I don't stand here preaching like I got it all together and you don't. That's not the sort of preacher I am. I'm telling you, I have some struggles too. I know what it's like to be married to a strong woman. <clears throat> Still there, honey? <laughs> the very thing that I loved about Helen, that I, that I fell in love with her, is the very thing that now I find very challenging at times. <laughs> this very strong woman. But I love it. She's a woman of conviction. She knows where she's going. She knows who she belongs to, and she knows what God wants her to do. And she lives a life that honors God. She's an amazing woman. I'm so blessed to have her in my life. But I was mad at her the other day. Is it okay, Andrew, to tell this story? Still going to love me, brother? Two weeks ago, I was heading down to Brisbane on Jetstar. Who's flat? So it's okay to talk about Jetstar because sister here, she he flies with Virgin, so I can say anything I like about Jetstar. And we're packing the bags and we've got the little weigher. And I've only got seven kilos of carry-on. Yeah? Anybody done a flight where you've only got... And me being negative and, you know, worried and upset, like I like to get to the airport on time, about three hours beforehand, so I can just sit there and relax, you know. And we're weighing the bags, and my, my carry-on bag is seven kilos. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, I don't want to go over this. I don't want to get caught at the airport. I don't want to have a problems, you know. I don't want to be stressed about all of this. And Helen says to me, darling, are you going to take a book to read with you on the plane? And I thought about that and I thought, yeah, I should take a book. But what am I going to do? Because it's going to be over seven kilos. And she said, hey, I give you, I've got a man bag. Any blokes here got a man bag? Helen gave me a man bag. I mean, I'm, I'm, no, I wouldn't say I'm a new age guy. <laughs> no, I, I'm not saying that, but I'm a modern guy. Is that better? I'm carrying a mad bag with me, but I'm thinking to myself, negative Nelly, negative John, you know, oh, gee, I don't want to get caught at the airport. So Helen gives me the car- my man bag, and I've got the carry-on bag, and in, the, in my man bag is the um, is a book, and then she says, oh, you'll need a couple of other things, and I'm thinking, well, Helen's positive, I'm negative, yeah, I'll listen to Helen, I won't listen to negative John. Get in the picture. So I head down, and I've probably got about 12 kilos on me now. <laughs> And here's the really good thing. I get to Proserpine and I'm looking out to see, because you know when you fly, they have somebody there beforehand measuring your carry-on bags. Who's seen that? Yeah. But they didn't have anybody at Proserpine. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Went through the gate. Not a problem. Went down to Brisbane, attended the conference that I was at. I'm about to head home. And Helen's mum, her love language is gift-giving. She gave me some stuff. 
to take on the plane. And me, I know, I'm going to be like Helen. I'm going to be positive. I'm not going to be negative, John. I'm going to be positive, John. And I did say to her, well, it's going to make me go even more more with my weight on the plane. And then I hear Helen's voice, don't worry, darling, this is what you need to do. When you get to the gate, just stay back and wait until the very last minute because if you do that, they'll just rush you on the plane and they won't weigh anything. (laughs) You know where this is going, Helena, don't you? So, I, so I, I, get, I get this other bag now. So I've got three bags and I've probably got 20 kilos that I'm carrying. <laughs> but it was just vegetables that Helen's mum had, had dutifully uh, grown in her backyard. And Helen said, oh, can you tell, can you tell John, to, can you, would you mind getting John to bring some of those lovely vegetables home with you? I'm, I never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Anyway, so I've now got three bags and I'm walking through. And who knows when you go through security, it's stressful as well. You know, like, and in my, in my, because Helen's good with money and I'm not, I'm, I'm learning that she's very thrifty. And so I had aftershave. I had, um, I had what's the other stuff? Foamy, um, sh- shaving foam and, and deodorant. But the, you're not allowed to put them through. You've got to take them out. So I'm fussing around. I've got these three bags and I'm trying to get the stuff out and I'm trying to go through security and the sweat's pouring off me and I think I'm going to be late for the plane and I'm totally stressed out and I'm getting mad with me because I was listening to Helen. I was getting mad with Helen because me because I'd listened to her and I was mad with Helen because she was telling me what to do. Like, Anyway, I got through security and that's okay and I got to the gate and I see this guy standing there measuring, weighing all the bags. And I'm going, uh oh. The perspiration just starts coming out. The stress. I get on the phone and I start texting Helen. Helen, there's a guy at the gate. Helen, Helen, there's a guy at the gate. Helen texts me, darling, just wait. Don't worry. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, honey. Like, just wait back, and when it gets to the very end, you'll be able to go straight through. It got to the very end, and I am so stressed. I'm going to miss the plane. And I, I walk, I'm starting to walk up to the gate and, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking, oh no, I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm going to get to the gate and he won't be there. I'm listening to Helen. And I get to the gate and the guy's still there. And he weighs my bags. Wow. I had to start throwing stuff out quicker than you could believe. I'm out there and I'm throwing books into the bin. I'm throwing food into the bin. I'm throwing all this stuff into the bin. And I had to get on the plane with just seven kilos. I was mad. I was mad with Helen and I was mad with me. But thankfully I got home. One book less, no aftershave, no deodorant. So if I stink this morning, it's not my fault, it's Helen's fault. Have you ever been mad at yourself? Have you ever been mad at somebody else? Let me tell you, God's not mad with you this morning. He's mad about you. How do you see God today? Do you think God loves you and and wants to shower, shower his favor and blessing on your life because you've been good? Because you've done your very best at keeping your at the keeping his commandments and you've had a good week and everything's gone well and you haven't got mad with anybody? 
you think that God's going, yep, I'm not mad with them because of what he's done or she's done? Well, perhaps it's the opposite for you. Perhaps you think God is mad with you today because you know that you failed him. You know that you've been like John this week. You've got mad at your wife or you've got mad at yourself. I want to tell you this morning, I've got some good news for you. No matter your week, God's not mad with you. You know, the God I was taught about many years ago was a God of love. But you needed to watch out because he's a holy God and he hates sin. And if you're not careful, he's all too ready to be mad with you. He's all too ready to be angry with you. And he's all too ready to punish you for your sin. You know, for years I lived my life in this constant tension of not knowing whether God was actually mad with me or if he was actually mad about me. If I'm really truthful, I never even knew that God could be mad about me. The God that I knew was pretty much a God of anger and a God of wrath and a God that you've got to look out for. If you were to ask me, when is God mad when is God mad about you? I'd answer when I do right, when I do good. If you ask me when is God mad with you, I'd answer when I would do wrong. I know today that there are Christians that are walking around in this type of belief that God is mad with them because of their behavior. It's sad. It saddens me when I see this because that's not the life that Christ has for you or the life that he has for me. See, God not being mad with you has nothing to do with how good or bad you have been. He's not mad with you because his anger has been exhausted on the cross when Jesus died. How do I know this? It's because we live under the terms of the new covenant. For a long time, I didn't understand the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. The old covenant of Moses and the new covenant of grace. I was never taught the difference between them. Under the terms of the old covenant, God's favor and blessing is based on man's ability to do right. It was based on man's obedience to the law. Under the terms of the new covenant of grace, God's favor and blessing is based purely on the work of Jesus. When you look at the old covenant, it's based upon the law of Moses. You can see that it says, you shall and you shall not. Let me read it to you, Exodus 21 to 17 in the NIV version. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for their sin of their parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign, uh, foreigner residing in your towns." For on the sixth day the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see, and all that's in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God has given you. 
You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to you, but sorry, belongs to your neighbor. Did you get the picture of all of that? What is it basically saying? You shall not, or you shall. Now let's compare this with the new covenant grace where the Lord says, I will, and we find it in Hebrews 8, 12, uh, Hebrews 8, 8 to 12 in the New King James Version. Hebrews 8, 8 to 12, New King James Version. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the days when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant, I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in the, on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none of them his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And this is the, listen to this, verse 12, Hebrews 8, verse 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Hallelujah. How amazing is that? Old covenant, you shall, new covenant, I will. It's as simple as that. Old covenant is about what we do. New covenant about is, is all about what God has done. The old covenant of law is based on you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. The new covenant of grace is based on I will, I will, I will. It's all about what God has done. God is no longer mad with you because of Jesus' obedience. Many believers today live a life of defeat because they believe that God is mad with them. They carry with them guilt and shame and condemnation. They believe that God is mad with them because of something they've done. The good news is God is no longer mad with you. Not because of your attempt to at obedience, but because of Christ's obedience. Listen to this. It's very important that you see this. I want you to get this. Are you listening? How can God be mad with you when he's declared? And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. How can he be mad with you if he can't, if, if he's not remembering your sins or your lawless deeds? Now, you might be sitting here this morning and, you know, you're saying, hang on a minute, I've read the Old Testament. And I tell you what, I can see in the Old Testament God getting pretty angry and upset with his people. And he did. I've also read Revelation. And I see where God gets mad with the people that don't follow Jesus. Let me tell you, God's not mad with you this morning because you don't fall under the requirements of the Old Covenant. And you're not rejecting Jesus, praise God. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not under the, you are under the terms of the new covenant, not the old covenant. You will never receive the rightful punishment for your sins. God's rightful anger and punishment has already fallen upon Jesus. Are you getting this? 
It's important that we understand that God works through covenants because it explains how God blesses his people. Under the old covenant, if the children of Israel obeyed the Ten Commandments, they would be blessed. If they did not, they would be cursed and punished. The good news is that you and I are no longer under the requirements of the old covenant. We are blessed not because we've been good or because we do good. We are blessed because Jesus is good. Jesus made us good when we were no good. The full anger and rightful judgment of God against the sin that you and I commit has fallen upon Jesus. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21, the New Living Translation. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21, the New Living Translation. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's no longer counting my sins against me. God's no longer counting my sins against me. God's no longer counting my sins against me. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin offering of our sin so that we could be made made right with God through Christ. Christ. Because of Jesus, God is no longer counting your sin. Christ, who never sinned, is the sin offering for our sin. Colossians 2.13 says, You are dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, who? Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. Now, this is the good bit. That was all pretty good. And the clock's not working down the back, so I can just keep going. So, got a packed lunch? Who's heard this expression? You have to be careful about preaching too much grace. Who's heard that? Oh, you've got to be careful. The pendulum swung too far. You've got to bring it back a bit. Just got to be real careful. It just gives people a license to go out and sin even more. Have you heard that? I've heard that. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to talk to you about my experience when I truly encountered God's grace over my life. Because when I truly encountered God's unmerited, unearned favor, when I truly encountered his forgiveness of my terrible sins, I didn't then just go, well, that's fantastic. Now that I know that I'm forgiven of all the bad things that I've done, I'm now just going to go and live my life as I please. I'm now just going to do, what I ever want, do whatever I want to do. It doesn't matter because God's just going to forgive my sin. If that's you, then you haven't got God's grace. See, God's grace changes you. Last week, Jason spoke about changing the script of my life. When I encountered God's grace, it changed the script of my life. I didn't think I could just go and do whatever I wanted to do. The opposite happened. It caused me to love God more. See, there's a very important biblical principle at play here. The principle of he who is forgiven much loves much. See, when I finally understood the depth of my sin and how far away I was from God because of what I'd done, and I realized the cost that it was 
for Jesus to go to the cross so that I could have that terrible sin forgiven. And when I realized that I didn't have to earn it or didn't have to do anything at all to get God's forgiveness other than just believe that Jesus died for my sin, my life changed forever. I'm standing here today preaching God's grace because I understand his grace. It changed the script of my life. And I'm telling you, church, get God's grace into you because it'll change the script of your life. You won't want to just go out and do whatever you please and do whatever you want. When you finally understand that God's forgiven every single sin that you have committed, that you will commit, it changes you. He who is forgiven much loves much. Listen to, this is Jesus talking to Simon the Pharisee. It's in Luke 7, 40 to 43. And it's about a man who loaned money to two people. Then Jesus, this is Luke 7, 40 to 43, New Living Translation. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 of pieces to the other. But neither of them could pay him back. So he finally forgave both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one who, whom he cancelled the larger debt. That is right, Jesus said. See, two things happen when you encounter God's grace. When you truly encounter God's grace. Well, this is what happened for me. When I truly encountered God's grace, it gave me the ability that I didn't have before to live a life that would honor and glorify God. See, before God's grace, I had no power to overcome the sin in my life. Before I understood God's grace, before I I understood that I was forgiven and that he was with me, that he would never leave me, never forsake me, that he gave me the ability to overcome my sin, Before all of that, I was lost and I was broken and I couldn't overcome. I tried in my own strength to overcome the sin in my life, but I couldn't do it. But when I finally got God's grace into my life, he gave me the ability to live a life that would honor him and glorify him. What is a life that honors and glorifies God? It's a selfless life. And I know I'm not perfect at that, Helen. But he's given me a greater ability to live a selfless life. He's given me a desire to live a life that honors and glorifies God. And the other thing that it did, it caused me to love God even more. When I understood his grace over my life. And here's an even greater thing. It helped me to love other people. Before I encountered God's grace, I was pretty good at judging other people. I was pretty good at putting other people down. I was pretty good at saying they, they're wrong and they're wrong and they're not doing it right. And, and I didn't have that, that much of an ability to be able to love other people. But when I encountered God's grace, it changed me forever. It gave me the ability to love God more and love people more. Why did Jesus tell Simon the Pharisee the story about a man who loaned money to two people? It's because the Pharisees couldn't understand the good news. They thought it was all about what they did. They thought it was all about obeying the Lord. Does that sound like some modern churches today? It's all about what they're doing. It was about obeying the Lord. It was about self-righteousness. They struggled to recognize the sin in their own life because they thought they kept the law. 
They could not grasp the principle of he who is forgiven much loves much. They could not accept who Jesus was and they could not accept what Jesus could do for them. They believed that because they kept the law, because they were doing right, that they were right and everybody else was wrong. What a sad indictment that would be on our church if we think that we're right and everybody else is wrong. That's not showing love to other people. They did not think that they had a debt of sin that needed to be paid for. They believed in their own self-righteousness. Is anybody getting a picture of what it looks like to be a Pharisee? Let me give you six quick points about what it can look like to be a Pharisee. You believe what it's, it's what you do that makes you right with God. Simple. You spend more talk. This is a Pharisee. This is not you. Not me. But this is what Pharisees do. You're right. Buckled in, ready to go. Ready? Ready? You spend more time talking about what you're against, not what you're for. Oh, I'm against. I'm against this. Bible says I'm against. We should be against this. We should be against that. We should do this. We should be. What are we for? We're for people coming to know Christ. I don't know about you, but when people tell me I'm doing something wrong, I don't go, yep, you're right. I'm wrong. I immediately go, who are you to tell me that I'm doing wrong? I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. Anybody else? Can I have a show of hands? Who here likes to be corrected? Jimmy, good on you. I tell you, I don't. You don't repent of your sin because you don't think have it, you don't think you have any serious sin. You don't repent of your sin because you don't think you have any serious sin. Oh, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't gamble. I don't cheat on my wife. How are you going with unforgiveness? How are you going with envy? How are you going with pride? How are you going with bitterness? How are you going with greed? How are you going with being selfish? Every single one of us struggle with those sins in our lives. You read the Bible to justify your convictions, not to shape you into God's image. Number four. Yeah, how's that one? You read the Bible to justify your convictions, not to shape you into God's image. Sound a bit pharisaical to you? See, see, I've got so much work to do on myself, Jimmy. I know that I get mad with Helen. I've got so much work to do with me. Why am I even worrying about the speck in my brother's eye? Oh, I love this Christian easy term. Oh, love the sinner. Oh, yes. Love the sinner. The Bible tells us we need to love the sinner. Hate the sin. Hate the sin. Hate the sin. Do you know Jesus didn't actually teach that? Is this okay? You all look a bit like, oh, you still with me? Still, can I have a, yes, 
still with me. See, he didn't teach that. He didn't teach it. Just go and read the book, the story about the woman caught in the act of adultery. What he taught was this. Love the sinner. Get rid of the sin in your own life. And then maybe look at the speck or the little bit of sin in your brother's eye. That's what he taught. You spend time, sorry, you read the Bible to justify your convictions, not to shape you into God's image. You believe the outsiders must conform to a certain way before they can be accepted as Christians. (laughs) Come on. Come on. You believe that the outsiders must conform to a certain way before they are accepted as Christians. Oh, they can't be a Christian. Come on, Jimmy, they can't be a Christian. Look what they're doing. (laughs) They're not a Christian. They can't come into our church. If they walked into our church, the roof would fall down. Oh, no, they can't be a Christian. Well, you know, if I apply how I became a Christian... And then I think about the other person. The only way they can become a Christian is not to do with what they're doing. It's to do with what they're believing. Am I standing here and saying it's okay to sin? Absolutely not. If you believe I'm preaching that this morning, I ain't. God hates sin. It damages me and it damages everybody else around us. But to qualify to become a Christian is not about your sin. Well, it is. It's all about your sin because your sin separated you from God. Remember Adam and Eve? They had everything. Then Eve mucked it up. I'm mad with Eve and Adam. They had it perfectly. They had a perfect world. They were naked. The climate was so good. Thank goodness the climate's not so good here. Last thing you want to see is all walking around naked. They did the thing that they shouldn't have done. They broke relationship with their maker. But God had a plan to restore that relationship. And the plan was for Jesus to come so that every person that says, I believe in Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner, I repent of my sin, and I give my life to Jesus, they're a Christian. So when people people say they're a Christian and we go, no, they're not because they've got this in their life, I just hope that I'm saying, well, hang on a minute, before I do that, I need to go, what have I got in my life that I need to address and make sure that I'm living a life that honours and gives glory to God? Number six, All your Christian friends act just like you. (laughs) You only hang around with the people that don't confront you. You only hang around with the people that don't challenge you. You only hang around the people that say the same things with you, that agree with you. You know, I'm learning, and it's a difficult thing to learn, let me tell you. But I'm learning that the people that rub me up the wrong way are a gift from God. (laughs) A great lesson that is not. But I'm learning that I need those people in my life so that I can become all that Christ has called me to be. 
so that I can understand that I need to let go of my pride. I need to let go of thinking that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I need to let go of being selfish and self-centered and wanting things my way. And I need to let, make room for what the, the other people want in their lives. Amen? Listen to the beginning of verse 30, 42. Luke 7, 42, the beginning of the verse. Neither of them could repay him. You can't repay your debt of sin. No amount of good works, right behavior, it's not enough. Every single one of us, Bo talked about it this morning, fall short. We fall short of God's glorious standard. No matter who you are, no matter how good you think you may have been, your debt is too great. We all sin, we all fall short. No religious act, no trying to live a godly life will cut it. It's only the work of Jesus that will make us right with God. When I finally understood that my many and great sins had been forgiven, it changed the course of my life. It rewrote the script of my life. Thank you, Jason. If I could have the band up, please. How are you going? Still with me? The good news is God is not mad with you. He's mad about you. Don't believe the religious lie that God is still mad with you because of your sin. He's not mad with you. His anger and judgment towards all your sin has already been exhausted and com- exhausted completely on the body of Jesus Christ. Don't live your life in that tension of believing that God is pleased with you when you're good and he's mad with you when you fail. I want you to know this morning that God is not mad with you. He is mad about you. Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Centre's podcast channel. For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website, www.withsundayacc.com.au.